everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. This is Debbie Montgomery Johnson coming to you from sunny South Florida. It is a beautiful day in paradise. I had to tease my friend in Canada who just told me it was 27 degrees up there. Brr. But anyway, I would like to say happy, val- happy Valentine's Day. I will edit that one out. Happy Veterans Day to our veterans, uh, which is personal to me because I am actually a veteran. Dr. Tim from SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationships, is a veteran. I have children that are active duty parents, brothers. It's a a family event for me. This is a very important day. So go out there and give your favorite vet a hug and thank them for all that they've done. I also want to say a quick prayer for friends of ours at SCARS, a friend of ours who's having surgery today. And we promised that we would keep her in our prayers. She's having some knee surgery and I know that can be difficult. So I wrote her note this morning and said, remember that pain is progress. (laughs) So bless her heart. So today is a special, a special day, a special story at Stand Up and Speak Up. And one of the reasons why I actually started this show a couple of years ago is because it was so important for me to be able to stand up to what happened in my survivor story. So today is a special survivor story. This is one that I want everybody to know that each survivor story is different and unique in some ways, but they're always similar in overall scope and format. And I've learned that over the years, that my story was my story. But when I've heard thousands of others, they're so similar in so many ways. So remember, relationship fraud is a crime against a victim, but we choose to not call ourselves victims because that gives our power away. Telling our stories, standing up and speaking up is an important step in the process of recovery after a scam. We may not get a financial recovery, but we will recover emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically in time. Having the opportunity to tell our stories to a judge in a federal courthouse and direct it to the scammer, a felon, a criminal, can be daunting but empowering. Our special guest today became a shiro, that's a girl hero, to me, and the millions of survivors around the world who will never have the opportunity to tell their stories in a courtroom who will never feel justice has been done, but we can live vicariously through her story and celebrate in the outcome. One small step for victims in Texas will lead to one giant step against relationship fraud and online fraud across the globe. So everybody, I would love for you to welcome my friend, my hero, my courageous guest, Miss Texas. How are you today? 
I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so glad you're here. I, for those that don't know that you and I met in Dallas at the courthouse in person, we've been online friends for a while. Um, but that was in a really important uh, important meeting for me, and unfortunately, it was delayed once or twice. And we finally made it work when when we went to court in November. So, this is your story today, okay? I want you to tell your story, um, and then we'll pull it together on how it's so similar to mine and to many others that we work with. So, let's just go ahead and start, okay? How did your relationship, or how did your story start in the in, you know? In the beginning, obviously. In the beginning, this is what happened. Okay. Um, so it started uh, back in 2018, October, no, August of 2018. I was playing Words with Friends. And um, I got an invite from a, a good-looking man. And I don't normally accept an invite from anybody I don't know. But I was going through... Um, a horrible time in my life. I had just ended a 30-year marriage and um, and then another relationship left me heartbroken as well. So um, there was like two heartbreaks back to back and um, I was, it was probably the lowest time in my life. And so it looked like he was friends with one of my friends. So that's why I accepted it. And Can I it ask wasn't... you something really quick? I don't mean to, I sure. mean to, I'm going to interrupt, excuse me for doing so. But what is Words with Friends? So it's like an online Scrabble game. And you can play with others. It's an online, it's all online. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to put that out there because when people hear relationship scam, they're thinking online dating. But that's not the case here. No. Okay. And I've heard a lot of other people where their scammer found them on Words with Friends. Okay. So um, it wasn't, we, we did a couple of rounds together. Like I make a move, I make a word and then you know, he makes a word and I make a word. And then it was shortly after that that he sent me a chat through Words with Friends. And he said, hello. Okay, hello. <laughs> and then communication started after that. And one of the first things he asked me was, are you single? Ooh. Okay. Yeah. And I was a little bit taken with that. I wasn't really looking for anybody at that point. And Question. I gave it a, okay. How did you feel? Um, had you ever heard of online scams prior to this? No. Okay. Well, I knew scams existed, but yeah. So when you got that friend request, had anybody ever said, be careful about friend requests, or, or were you like me just kind of like, well, this is fun. He knows somebody that I know. Right. I, I thought it was just an innocent, you know, hello, how are you? Oh, he knew my friend already. Um, or I thought he did. And I asked him, I said, I said, so you know my friend so-and-so? He goes, no, I don't. 
Well, that was like the first red flag. And did you reach and out thought, to your friend and ask her if she knew him? I did not. Okay, I'm just ask, I'm just putting it out there as suggestions because right. <clears throat> we've learned a lot since the beginning. Okay, right. I'm sorry to interrupt. But. No, that's fine. So anyway, um, and then I, I thought about what he asked me for a couple of days, and then I thought, well, I guess I'll answer him, and I did. And then he, we started, I guess it was maybe a few days after that, we spent a whole afternoon chatting with each other. And one of the first things he said to me was, I don't play games. Meaning, you know, games in life. You know, okay. I'm a straight on person. <laughs> okay. You like that in people. We don't want people to be playing games with us. Right. And then so, shortly after that, we moved to Google Hangouts. Okay. And this has always perplexed me. Uh, maybe about a week into it, he said, oh, let's do a video chat so I can meet you, which we did. And I know they can, they can make a phony video, but... It seemed like I was talking to him. But, of course, I wasn't really paying attention. But we, we talked on video for a few minutes. That's interesting. I, I, as the, we've been in the pandemic for the last year, I equate it to watching a Netflix show that was made in Spain. And I'm watching it, and I'm here in English, but I know they're speaking in Spanish, you know. It's amazing what your mind can can make you think that you're you know you're doing. So you were seeing you were having this video chat with him. He was speaking. He again, this is the quote, air quotes. He was speaking uh, to you, and you weren't paying attention. So who was he? So supposedly he was an engineer working on an oil rig um, off the coast of Scotland. Okay, and he. His wife died, uh, well, his son got killed in an accident, and his wife um, had uh, committed suicide because of it. Okay. So he was an engineer, overseas, a widower. Classic. Right. Okay. And good looking. Of course. Of course. Okay. So how long did this last? So he groomed me for a couple months. Can you explain what grooming is? It's um, texting a lot, talking a lot, um, getting to know you. Okay. Uh, They pick up on things that you like, and they, oh, I like that too, uh, entice you. He would send me poems and pictures of flowers a lot. Okay. So you would spend, you work full time, would you spend hours with them a day, would you say? Um, well, he might text me in the morning before work mm-hmm. and then a, probably a couple hours in the evening too. Okay. So was this basically on your phone or on the computer? Uh, a little of both. 
Okay. I'm just trying, I'm asking these questions because, you know, the, my story was nine years ago. They've really upped their game. They're doing things differently. They're doing things faster. You know, they're off the websites and onto apps and onto texting and that kind of stuff. So it's very interesting for me to hear additional stories. So yeah. you communicated with them through texting, through online. Um, video chat often or just once in a while or just once? So we had three video chats the whole time of this okay. game. Um, I can't really remember the second one, but I know there was a second one. The last one was towards the very end, and it was very grainy, and it was only for a few minutes, or not even a few minutes. It was very quick. But that first one, I can remember. And he was on the oil rig when he was doing it? That was the story? Yes. Okay. Did he, he ever leave stuck the, on oil the oil rig? rig. Did he ever leave? I mean, in the story? <laughs> that's, yes, that's the funny. Well, it's funny now, but not at the time. Yeah, not at the time. Right. So in October, um, I, I finally got myself kind of settled down because I was uh, making a couple of changes in my life. And that's when the financial part started. So he said that he had this security box that he kept with this security company from Belgium and it had his exit papers in order, he accidentally put his exit papers in this box in order for him to be able to leave the oil rig. Mm -hmm. And that's where all the financial stuff started. And it was being escorted here to the States. It had to go through customs and I found out when it got to JFK Airport that there was cash in there. Okay. And that's where the custom fees came from. And okay. it was continuous custom fees. Yeah. I know that story. Um, so all in, I don't, you don't need to give the dollar amount. It was a substantial amount of money that you gave over a period of how long? A year, year and a half? Uh, it was a very short six months. Six months, okay. So that was that was a point I needed to make. That for me, what took two years is now happening in, in six months, in three months, in eight months. They're up in their game. They're getting very fast. So how did it end? How did you find out that it actually was a scam? Okay. And, and just one point I want to make, too, is that yeah. it, it got to the point where I felt like I was chasing my own money. And, and that's what I was doing. I heard somebody else share that once, and I thought... You know, you're right, especially towards the end. So, yeah, there, there came a part in the story towards the end there. So Moses Moriari, so my, the guy that I, I took to court, um, he came in. I, I look at my scam as being in three different stages. He came in during the second stage when they pulled in a different diplomat. And that's when I had deposited um, three checks into the guy that I took to court into his bank account. And then during the third stage, again, also. So during that third stage, we supposedly we were paying a fee directly to the company in order for him, because he lost his exit papers, for him to get off the oil rig. So supposedly he gets off the oil rig and they arrest him. <laughs> okay. So now he's in jail for supposedly being part of a scam 
of all things in okay. Belgium. Yeah. And now he's asking me for money for his lawyer um, and, and to pay something else. And I was done at that point. Did you feel, though, that you, I mean, got to a point where it, there was just, just one more, just one more, just pay that and get it over with? Because, I mean, I think I remember well into it that I say, oh, my gosh, I've given this guy a lot of money. Um, I can't afford to lose that money now, so let's make sure just, to, just one more. We'll get him home then. Did you have that feeling that if you just paid one more that it would be the end? That's exactly how I felt. And that's exactly how they wanted you to feel. And that's exactly the little carrot that they would push out in front of you. Okay. And, and how, we'll talk about what we learned in court in, in a minute, but how did you find out or how did you come to the realization that this had to end? So after he gets off the oil rig, this was in February of 2019, um, so supposedly he's in jail now. And I'm getting these, uh, his buddy is telling me, you know, both him and his buddy are telling me, oh, yeah, okay, so now we got to pay his lawyer, and, and, okay, well, if we pay this amount, you know, we'll be able to get him out of there. And I'm like, you know what, I'm sorry, but somebody else is going to have to figure this one out. That went on for about a month, and he only had 30 days before they were going to move him to another country. And I kept saying no. And one time the, the scammer, the main scammer, he said to me, he goes, well, everybody says that you're going to pay this amount. I said, well, they're wrong. And towards the end of March, uh, I made a comment and I said, I need my money back. And he came online and he said, it's complicated. And I, what do you mean complicated? He said, I'm sorry, but I'm a poor black man from from Africa. Huh? What? I'm sitting here. I'm having flashbacks of how I felt when I found out too. So he said it on on a text. He said it in a phone call. How did he tell you that? It was Google Hangouts. And I've never been on Google Hangouts. So that's just your your writing. It's it's a text. Yeah, it's a text. Okay. So in Google Hangouts, he comes out and says, I'm a, I'm a poor guy in Nigeria or in Africa. What did you say to that? How did you feel? Oh, my world just crashed. I mean, if you, it felt like a glass just, I was speechless. And then <laughs> I, I texted back and I, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. How did he explain that? Uh, he said, "He said, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. This is a scam." Okay, um, and that's interesting because at that point in in my story, I said, "Now you're lying." I said, "Now you have to prove it to me," and that's actually how I was able to get the my scammer. Um, and I know that when we say my scammer or him or whatever, it, it, it's multiple, there are multiple people. But in this particular case, I saw one person. He came on live on a video chat, and I talked to him. I saw him, and that was the first time I ever saw him. And that was that brick wall for me. When I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, the story's not me anymore. So did it stop at that point, or did it drag on a little bit? So he actually, 
right away he sent me like three pictures of him. And they're all kind of like, look at me. I'm so good looking, you know. Yeah. And I just wanted to just get sick, you know. And I kept I kept texting him, yelling at him, going, I need my money back. I want my money back, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so it went on a couple more weeks after that where I'm trying to, oh, why? <laughs> why did you do this? And he came back and told me it's because of slavery. And I said, Really? Yeah. I, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe it. And I said, wow. Uh, okay. I respected. Yeah. So at that point, though, where did you go? Did you give it give up or did you say, now did you get mad and you said, I need to report this? Or how did you proceed there? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I had to go about reporting. Um. I got all my information together, and I my local police was absolutely useless. <laughs> okay, I had to literally stay by a police station, grab a cop that just happened to be, I don't know if he was, I think he was leaving for the day, and I said, look, I need a police report. I need a number. I need a report. So he took down my information, and a few days later, uh, they did call me. I had all my documents together, and I said, okay. I said, can I send you my documents? No, we don't need those. Okay. (laughs) Can I have a report number? You know, I had to beg them for a report number. So they finally gave me a report number. How did you know that you needed to get a report number? I needed it for... I needed it for my personal reasons. Okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah. I had to have a report number. Then, um, of course, I did IC3. I did the, um, I did the IC3 right, in, the, in the local police. I didn't know to go to, F, to the Federal Trade Commission. Okay. Um, and then I just started Googling. Um, I needed help. I mean, so I started looking, um, scam, I I don't know where I said, finally, I went under victims, and I found like a nationwide victims, and I don't know how eventually I found SCARS. Okay, SCARS is the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, and we'll talk more about SCARS. So you you found SCARS. And... I'm just so grateful that I found SCARS versus some of those other anti-scammer uh, groups because, you know, who knows where I would have ended up. I mean, I felt so alone during the scam itself that, I mean, for months after the scam ended, I wasn't even sure I wanted to be here anymore, Mm -hmm. honestly. I was so devastated. But every morning, I would look at what was posted on SCARS. And so I I would, 
look at it and sometimes I, you know, I would think about it. They, they ask such really great thought-provoking questions. And they understood what I was going through because so many other people didn't. I tried to go to a couple of counselors. One was offered free uh, through work. She didn't really get it. So I quit going to her. Okay, <laughs> just so people can, uh, can understand SCARS, if you go to uh, romancescamsnow.com, which is the SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams. It's, it's our website that is incredible information. If you know of anybody that is a victim or they've been a victim themselves, we've got the three steps for new victims on that romancescamsnow.com page. It is incredible. So, Deb, excuse me, I'm talking to myself now. <laughs> you went, because I did this too, um, but years later, when you went to this site and you saw this information, now you realize you're not alone. And that's the point of SCARS, is that we're not alone. It, it does give us a lot of information. It can be somewhat overwhelming. Did you join a support group with SCARS? I, I know there are support groups. Oh, definitely. Yes, on Facebook. Okay. So now you're involved with SCARS and you've, you've written your story out for yourself, which is important. Why did you do that? Well, um, for, the, for legal reasons, I'll, just for legal reasons, and also for myself, just to get it out there, as a release. Okay. Important step in the process is getting it out there. And then when you went into the police, we have, you know, we know uh, folks have difficulties going into the police because you want them to do something. And they're probably not going to be able to. So if you can put your information down, and SCARS actually has a great little book called the Scam Evidence Red Book. It's the Red Book called My Record. And um, I actually used that this morning to, as I was preparing for our, our conversation. Um, there are, it prompts you. It gets you to write things down. So when you walk into a police department or the FBI or wherever, you go in unemotionally and you have your facts. You have everything down there and you can hand it to them, you can show it to them, you can do whatever. Um, because they want the bottom line. They don't want the story. The story is very interesting to all of us, and it's really important to get it out. But they want the bottom line. What happened? You know, how much money? Who did you send stuff to? And so you did that. You did that, um, but not to the local cops because they didn't really hear it. So when you reported, when you reported to IC3, did you get anything back from the from that reporting? Nothing. And that was Nothing. so disappointing. Okay. You didn't know if it went into a black hole. You didn't know if they heard you. Nothing. Yeah. And we've heard that. And they're, you know, so to understand the IC3, it's important to put all of the information that you can. Uh, we report what they're, they're, the names that they're using, the, the uh, phone numbers, the email addresses, everything you can imagine you would want to put in there for their, for their database but they're not going to knock on your door or call you up and say, hey, we got your stuff. So how did you hear that the FBI actually had seen your information? So, so in August of that year, 
uh, I get a call from uh, an FBI agent. And he's talking, and I said, okay, sir. I said, I don't mean to sound disrespectful, but I just got scammed. So I need you to prove to me that you're an FBI agent. (laughs) (laughs) And And so (laughs) he said, okay. He said, well, he said, you can call this number. He said, and I can also let you know what information I need. And there's an office located at this address in your city because he was actually, I'm in Central Texas and he's up in um, North Texas. He said, you can uh, take this information and bring it to this office. And I said, okay. I thought, I never knew there was an FBI office just located within 10 minutes of me. Mm. It was not listed on the website because I looked couldn't find it so that's what I ended up doing was actually go to the office and I I had my information and I I told them who sent me and they double checked and they said okay they said we will get this to him and I said all right so and that was it that was all the contact you had with them no um he followed up with me after I sent the information to me to them, and he thanked me for it. And he said, um, he said, uh, something's going to happen very soon. And I said, oh, okay. He said, um, again, and he thanked me for it. And I said, all right. So then, <clears throat> I don't know if it was September or October or something like that, and I didn't hear nothing. And I thought, am I imagining things? Did I I really go to that FBI office? Because it's not really, it's it's like in an office complex. And and then I start getting, you know, you just get scammed and your world falls apart. And I thought, was that a fake office? You know, you start questioning yourself. And one day after work, I thought, I'm just going to go back over there again. And I did. And I said, and I said, I'm sorry. I said, again, I just got scammed. I've just given you all my information. And I don't hear anything. And they were really nice to me. They sat down and they said, have you not been assigned a victim advocate yet? I said, no. And they said, okay, well, we're going to get you hooked up with one. And um, yes, we're still working on your case. And and I said, okay. And so the FBI agent called me back. He said, I'm sorry, I haven't been in touch with you, but yes, something's going to happen. I'm, okay. So interesting note here, because when I went to the FBI, they said there was nothing they could do. And that was because the scammer in, in my case, he was literally in Nigeria. In your case, the difference here was that you had sent money to an address here in the States, in Texas. And many banks. Many, many what? There were several banks. Yeah. Several, but here in the United States. Mine were all out of the country. So that's why the FBI was working on something here. Whereas my guy said, there's no way. Unless you get him here in the United States, there's nothing we can do for you. you know? So how, when, when did you hear next? What did you hear next? 
So it was around a little bit before Thanksgiving. And I don't remember if he called me. He must have called me because he said, okay, there's, there's going to be something happening here. Okay. In the next few days, I said, okay. And then uh, there was something announced that uh, there was 10, uh, and I don't know if it was all night, 10 people were being arrested you know, from the FBI in that jurisdiction uh, having to do with, with fraud and, and scamming. And they had caught eight, but there were still two that were, um, what do they call it? They're not caught yet. And they listed the names, but mine was not yet arrested. And I was a little bit disappointed about that. And then... So you it had was, an actual name. You knew his real name. Yeah. The first time him and I talked, he asked me if that name sounded familiar. I said, oh, yeah, I put money in his bank account. Okay. Yeah, I, I knew it right away. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And then it was right before Thanksgiving. Uh, I was out with friends at a coffee shop, and I get a call from him. And so I stepped out, and... He said, I just wanted to call you to let you know we've just arrested him. And I was in tears, (laughs) tears of joy. Mm -hmm. And I said, thank you so much. And that meant so much to me because he personally called me to tell me that he was arrested. Mm -hmm. And that was in November 2019, and he's been in jail ever since. Because he's here in the States and no family, and he did not have bail money. So regardless of all that cash that he got, he didn't get him out of jail. So let's fast forward, because this is an important part. You were told that he's going to court uh, in, in Texas, the southern, the eastern district of Texas, I believe, federal court. And he didn't go to, he didn't have a trial, right? No, no, because he pleaded he went ahead and pleaded guilty. He pled guilty. He knew he was cooked. And right. the next step would be the sentencing, sentencing hearing, which was going to be in the courthouse up in Plano. And we're going to fast forward to that because that's where you and I met. We got the date, we got the time, and we met in Dallas to go to the court date. When you and I got there, I want you to walk people through. How did you feel? What was going on in your mind? What did you see when we got there? And let's just proceed there for the next few minutes. Okay. Well, first, just a little before that, there, there were 90 victims involved in this case. I was asked to provide a victim impact statement previous, which I did. And then... I, I was also given the opportunity to be at his sentencing. And I kept asking my victim assistant, when would be the best time for me to appear in court? And she told me, if there was a hearing, that would be a good time. But since there wasn't, and he pleaded out, then be there for the sentencing. And that's when you and I were there. Okay. So um, besides writing the victim impact statement, then I had to sit down and think about what do I want to say in the court. So I already had everything written out. And I went, I, I, once I wrote, wrote out that statement, I went through it with my, 
my counselor, and then I also asked for your opinion too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I practiced it. So I was thinking when I went to the court, it was only going to be like 20 or 30 minutes, <laughs> and that was it. Um, but I was ready. I was a little bit nervous about seeing him face to face. Okay. You want to describe to people what you saw when we walked into the courtroom? So when he came in, he was handcuffed. And he was in his um, jumper, like kind of a maroonish jumper. And there was a, he, he had two lawyers with him. And there was a whole lot for um, the good guys. The prosecutors. Prosecutors. Yeah. Yeah. And we did find out that the FBI agent that you had worked with was there. Oh, I was so happy about that. I've never met him in person. So I finally had an opportunity to meet him and thank him personally for what he... I I thanked all of the prosecutors for all the, the work they've done. So this part was really interesting to me when... I I think he was the very first one, was the FBI agent that they put up on the stand. He was there to talk to the judge. Well, before we get into the the judge walked in, and the judge was really, it was late. He was a half an hour late, and he was agitated by the proceedings. And it turns out, we found out, that important information, including the victim impact statements, had not been provided to him in advance of the hearing. And he apologized for being late, but he chastised the attorneys for not getting that information out. So in my mind, that victim impact statement and other information was vital to how this judge was seeing this hearing. And and that was really important. So here he laid out the law, he laid out the fact that he was a little upset at everybody. And then the FBI agent got up. How did you feel about the presentation that the FBI agent gave? It validated so much of my story. In what way? It, um, that this is truly a crime. It's a crime in, it's a crime. And not once, just to see it all and see the magnitude of what this guy did to so many people. And not once during that whole time did I ever feel like there was any victim blaming. And that was actually shown at the very beginning when when they were talking about evidence and about things being out for public record. The judge immediately said that the the PowerPoint presentation by the FBI would be private, would not be released because it had victims' names, addresses, bank accounts, very private information. So I was very glad to hear that, that that part was strictly held uh, confidential. But thorough, completely thorough, Thorough from, I mean, here we, I went in there thinking like most that the FBI really wasn't doing anything for us, but they track things, Deb, from the letters that were written to, you know, 
videos of the the scammer picking up parcels at his neighbor's house uh, to him opening up like 19 bank accounts under false names and false pictures. And, and I'm a former banker. I was flabbergasted at the, the how thorough these guys were in getting documentation to open up bank accounts and the way that, that they had money sent to different places and different banks. And it's incredible the the completeness of the case. Yeah, and the organization, yeah. Exactly. And I, it validated, like you said, it validated to me, gave me validation that there is something being done. Maybe not on a big enough scale, but at least in Texas. You know, the Eastern District of Texas is taking this seriously. And they <laughs> took you seriously. And I thought, like you, it was going to be up oh, 20, 30 minutes. You know, I was, immigration was there. Like, oh, okay, you know, they can pick him up and send him home. Um, but I had to leave after an hour, hour and a half. And I was expecting you to be able to get up and, you know, call me within a half an hour. How <laughs> long were you there and why? It was over four and, four and a half hours. I mean, the four FBI's testimony, yeah. Yeah, the FBI's testimony went on probably a majority of it. And then uh, the CPA, FBI CPA went on. Uh, she was, she went over his transactions. Uh, a majority of his transaction was due to victims' funds. And the victims' funds, what he did was, is he moved money, or what he did was he bought vehicles here in the States, and then those vehicles would be shipped to Nigeria, and in Nigeria they would be sold, and that's how the scammers got their money. So they were, they were laundering money by buying vehicles. Which right. makes sense because he had opened up a company and money was being, checks were being sent to that company, made out to that company. So he was legitimizing what he was doing by opening up a company account. Very clever. Right. You know, these are not, yeah. these are not little stupid bumpkins sitting in, uh, you know, the Yahoo chat guys. These guys mm -hmm. are organized criminals. And, and it was just incredible. So your FBI agent and everybody went on for four hours. The most important thing in my mind is when you were able to get up and stand up and give your statement. After all of this, this material had been presented, now the person that it impacted the most stands up. Can you walk us through that and how you felt going into that? Oh, wow. So, it, so just overall, there were, I think I've already mentioned, there were 90 victims involved. Mm -hmm. And there, there were 13 victim impact statements that were turned in of these 90 victims. I was the only victim that showed up in court. Mm -hmm. And I asked my victim assistant, I said, why is that? And she said, well, it's the shame in the embarrassment and then some victims are just too old to make the trip mm -hmm. and one thing they established during the court was that the victims were 55 and older and that made an impact as far and as well as how much uh, there how much victims money was taken 
um, both of those factors were important uh, in establishing the uh, degree of defense for his sentencing. Okay. So, uh, so they they got to um, the the judge read a couple of statements from the victim impact statements. He almost forgot about me, <laughs> and then uh, he realized he goes, "Oh yeah, you have a victim here." So, I stood up and I started to read my statement and. I'm standing between the prosecutor and and him, and from the corner of my eye, his lawyer starts talking to him. And I stopped, and I said, he's not even listening to me. And I just stopped. And the judge, when everything quieted down, the judge looked at me and he said, okay, you can go on now. And so finally him and his lawyer look at me, and I I continued to read my statement and then I sit down and then he gets to um, address the court and he says that he hopes to have an opportunity someday to let people know how bad scamming really is and how bad it impacts victims. And again, I, you know, he's handcuffed, he's looking at the judge, and I'm right behind him. And twice during his statement, he actually turns around and looks at me directly, looks at me directly and says, I am so sorry what I've done to victims. Hmm. And I was not expecting that at all. When you stood up to give your statement, I know that going into it, you were very nervous uh, and anxious. How did you feel when you were standing there giving your statement? It felt good. Okay. You got your power back. Yep. And I I can imagine, I wasn't there when you, when you, you you turned to them and said, he's not listening to me. I'm like, you go, girl. You know, make him listen. And, and, I think, and you know, when you get that apology, skeptics would say, oh, that was part of it. But heck, he's standing there in front of a judge handcuffed and was, you know, going to be sentenced for a lot of years in, in prison. And you personalized the scam to him, in my mind. You, and you could have been his grandma, his mom. I mean, you know, you personalize it. And, and I hope he feels that as <laughs> he's sitting there all those years. Yeah, and I did. I did personalize it by saying, you did this, you did that, even though I know it was not just him, but it was the group of scammers. But for me, he represented the scammers that day. And the other thing, when I read my statement, it validated everything they talked about in court that day. Mm. My age, how much money the bank account names, um, you know, just uh, vulnerable, everything. It was like, yeah, I validated all the testimony that they gave. Well, I'm, you know, I I, I equate this to that Tinkerbell moment where you're just like, yes, you know. (laughs) And when the judge listened to you and then put it all together, what was the sentencing, and how did you feel when you heard that? 
Yeah, 14 years. That felt great. And, oh, yeah, we forgot to mention that the immigration officer was there all day long, too. He was, so this is something I didn't know, that um, he's from Nigeria. He came here to the States in 2017, and he, uh, he had a fraudulent marriage. He paid a woman $5,000 to marry him so he could stay in the States. Mm-hmm. So immigration was there because that's a fraudulent marriage, and they got him on that. They'd already gotten him on that. Um, so he, he had had multiple things going on here. And, and I think what's important, too, is that even though we thought that the sentencing was going to be short, because he actually didn't have a court here, uh, he didn't go to court, there was no trial, that evidence was being presented for the very first time in a public courthouse. And that was so interesting, for at least to me, it was so interesting to see all that. And, and I wish I had been able to be there the whole time. Um, and I was so, so glad that you were able to be there. So when afterwards you were able to speak to the FBI agent briefly, right? Yes, I, I spoke to all the prosecutors. And again, I thanked them for everything. And they, they thanked me for coming. Absolutely, because out of those 90 victims, you were the only one. And I think that's the problem that we have with uh, people not wanting to report, people not wanting to speak up, is that we all feel that vulnerability and the, and the guilt and all that for going through it. But as you know now, and as I definitely know now, we were taken advantage of by criminals. And at least one is sitting in prison now. For, so that, that he is sitting there for the they. And we say mm-hmm. that because we both know that there wasn't just one guy. I mean, I wish I had been a fly on the wall to see how it all worked back then. Um, same with you, because you, you said there are multiple people involved. It is not a he, it is, a, it is they, and they are criminals, and they are a huge organization. And so I, I just want to thank you so much for your courage for standing up and getting through your anxiety and nervousness and, you know, being afraid of standing there in court because you showed the rest of us that how powerful it is to speak up. And I know you had an impact on him. I hope we had an impact on the defense attorney because neither one of us liked her. But... Um, she was terrible. <laughs> you definitely, you definitely had an impact on the judge, because uh, the, when I met with the prosecutors in the hallway before I was able to, before I left, the prosecutor told the lead prosecutor told me that they were trying to get five or six years of sentencing, and I'm thinking, well, that's not very long. And when I heard 14 after the fact, I'm like, yes, you know, and it came from your impact statement and you being there. So thank you so much for all the survivors in SCARS and around the world. Thank you so much for being the voice and for being there. So what next for you? Where do you what, what do you do now? Well, um, I'm not sure. Uh, I just, this has made a really big, this has been a big step in my recovery. And it, it also provided a lot of healing for me. So I'm just kind of pausing for the moment. I'm real 
knowing that he was just one of 10 that got arrested is a good feeling. And I saw not too long ago that another 35 got arrested. And I think it's all from the same district. So it's good to see these guys getting arrested. Uh, what do you say to other victims who are afraid to report? Oh, you've got to report this. Okay. Please report. You just don't know what that ripple, what kind of outcome that ripple will, will happen. And the law enforcement needs to know the impact. Uh, we all understand the shame and the embarrassment that we all feel. And that was repeated in the court over and over again. Um, they do know how we feel. They understand how we feel. But they, they need to know the numbers. That, that's how it's impacting us. Mm-hmm. When, when they presented it and we saw the numbers, we, we heard the numbers, I mean, it, it was incredible. I, that, I, I wish I had had a copy of that PowerPoint, not for the, you know, just because of how thorough they were and how they were able to get information and, and how bold and brazen the scammers are, you know, when they, because we saw videos of that they were counting money and I was like basically bragging that this is what we got. And I'm thinking, shoot, <laughs> they just cut themselves with that. But that was really good to see that it had all been put together in a very, package in a you know very uh, concise thorough package and that the judge took it all in and justice was done so thank you again for all of us for being there and being the voice of the survivors and having an impact on that criminal because I don't think he'll ever forget what you did he will never forget you for calling him out. <laughs> like I said, you go, girl. I'm really happy about that. So the main, the main things here is if you've been a victim, if you know a victim, have them go to romancescamsnow.com, look at the three steps for new victims, follow those steps, join the Facebook groups, report to um, ic3.gov, realize that you probably won't hear anything back from them, but you're adding information to their database, which could be someday presented in court as, as our victim, as our survivor here, her information was. Go to againstscams.org. Just get as much information as you can. Join the support groups. Realize you're not alone in this. That, yeah, it happened, and it's happened to a lot of us, uh, unfortunately, and it's happening every day. And until we stand up and speak up and make the courts and the law enforcement understand how big an issue this is, it's not going to be going away anytime soon. So we've got to do our little part. So like I said at the very beginning, this was one small step in, in Texas against fraud, but it is one giant step against online relationship fraud across the, across the globe. And I thank you for being a part of it, for being my shero for having an impact uh, in that courtroom. And we encourage everyone, if this has affected you, don't go through this alone. Find someone to be your support, to be your buddy, and realize that 
there's some really good people out there that this has happened to and if we stand together then we can stand up to these guys and it'll make a difference it'll make a difference we saw it we felt it so last words my friend yeah I agree with Debbie we, we need each other we need to support each other through this it, this is probably the worst experience it, just being scammed is the worst experience I've ever had in my life but and thank you for being there as my support <laughs> Debbie <laughs> well it was During my this. pleasure I, I mean it was an honor to be there and I learned so much but honestly it for me it brought closure to me too because I will never see my scammer I say that I'll probably never see him in jail and that's not my intent my because his picture is blasted around the world I, I was able to put his picture out there but this brought some closure to me in a way that nothing else had because it gave me I mean I've had some legal background in my past so it gave me some some confidence that because of the reporting the agencies could put together a case that was thorough enough to lock the door on this guy you know and it's a start and I give credit to Texas and to that victim's assistant uh, we're gonna reach out to her because they need to know what this is all about from our standpoint from from a victim's a survivor's point of view and I know that you made an impact on them and, uh, and I'm grateful that to have been there with you because it gave me great power to keep speaking up so thank you so much for being my special guest today and uh, I honor you for what you did my friend well thank you for having me Debbie Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, please make a small donation to help the victims around the world receive the help that they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfo teaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being here with us today. Go to my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe, and follow the replays of all of our great guests. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much for being here.